this is not the 80s anymore. Today, any, any piece of software that is non-trivial and that is actually useful is not developed by a lone superstar engineer in the corner. It's developed by big organizations of, of multiple engineers working together. And sometimes people are not aligned. Sometimes people have different understanding. They have different stakes in the, in the project. So there will be tension. There will be frustration. Uh, it's perfectly normal. And as I said, I think that a good manager is in charge. It's not in charge of the processes or, or the solutions. They're in charge of the culture. My guest today is Joe Rahmi. I've known Joe for about five years and we probably met in person a couple of times. Most of our engagement has been happening online through a number of uh, online communities. Joe was first exposed to his programming language in college. So unlike the traditional technical story nowadays that people start programming when they were 10 or eight or seven. Uh, Joe's passion uh, started when he was around 20 years old after playing with his first Linux distribution. Uh, that's basically when he realized he wants to spend the majority or the entirety of his career uh, working in tech. He briefly worked as a web developer and later on joined the enterprise world as an integrator, packager, system administrator, and uh, lastly, as a quality engineer before doing a transition to engineering management. Uh, since 2019, Joe manages a team of engineers at Red Hat, uh, mainly working on OpenStack. Besides work, Joe enjoys um, playing multiple instruments. Uh, he is a rock and jazz connoisseur, and he has a huge passion for games. He has two children, and they are taking on most of his free time nowadays. So let's jump right in for this really awesome fireside chat. All right, Joe, thank you very much for making the time uh, to get with me on this episode. I'm very happy uh, that you are here. We've known each other for like, what, five years now, but mostly yeah, online. Man. Thank you for having me. It's really, it's really cool. I really like the channel. I really enjoy the, the things you're doing. I, I'm happy that you're providing so much content. I'm happy that you're keeping it up. I know that starting a channel is considerably easier than actually keeping the channel going. So it was, it's really, it's really fun to be part of this and if uh, you know if an interesting conversation can come out of it i'm so i'm so honored. i'm sure i'm sure we will have a very interesting one uh, especially with the topic today it's about engineering management and how could someone get into that track because there's a lot of also um uh, friction when software engineers want to go into management some of them are pushed into the field some others are groomed into it others make it a plan of their own so let's first start with with some of your beginnings right you weren't always a manager obviously you started with at, at red hat currently you are and you started as a quality engineer if i'm not mistaken was, was that your first role there yeah that's that was my first role uh, in red hat uh before this i had different uh, different positions uh, not in Red Hat, not in OpenStack. Uh, I never really had a developer's position. I always worked around developers. Like I did one internship that was really interesting where I was a web dev where we had one website to maintain. But then slowly but surely, I always gravitated around developers. So sometimes it was integrators, sometimes it was some sysadmin offshoot, uh, a lot of packaging, a lot of dealing with uh, source control, merging, building, deployment. Uh, ultimately, I landed in quality engineering, which I liked it because testing is always special. You need a special way of, of 
thinking. And also I've always had a really good relationship with the developers. So having a human communication relationship with the developers makes for better testers, I think, because mm. you get to learn a lot more and you get to understand a lot more what they're going for and how you can prove them wrong. And if you prove them wrong, how to phrase it in a way that it's not, it's not against you. I'm doing you a favor. I'm showing you something you have overlooked. I'm not proving that you're bad. So yeah, yeah, setting definitely. all these things was interesting. And this is how I ended up in quality engineering. Awesome. You feel like your development background helped you become a better quality engineer because you sort of had a hands-on experience with the, the development process so on and so forth, or you feel like did not contribute to anything? Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, as, a, as a quality engineer, you, you really benefit from thinking like a developer, from understanding what developers want. And this is not even saying the fact that modern quality engineering is a lot about writing automation and scripts, which is not click, clicking and, and trying to manually verify certain things. So there's a, there's a programming aspect to the job, but there's also working in tandem with developers. And the better you understand their job, their tools, their process, their way of organizing things, the more you are able to collaborate with them. So this is definitely something that helped. Awesome. I want to ask about Red Hat specifically and OpenStack, and I'm going to stick a little bit to quality engineering for a bit because I'm curious, how does an organization of this size uh, test something as large as an operating system or as OpenStack, right? Look, how, how, do, how is this approached? Well, okay, so there are, this is a, this is a very complicated uh, topic where actually we could maybe spend two hours just <laughs> talking about this and still not cover everything. And to be honest, we don't even have the answers to all the challenges that we are. A lot of the things, a lot of the, the difficulties that you perceive are correct, and we don't have perfect solutions for them. But in short, the first thing to understand about OpenStack is that it's a, it's an open source project, which means that the all the development processes and the build and the and the, the a lot of the QA is done separately from Red Hat. It's done from what, what we call the upstream. It's a it's a community of of developers, of testers, of of all sorts of profiles working together on the code. So in a way, we inherit a lot of our testing from what the upstream community mm -hmm. is doing. Now, I say inherit as if they're completely separate people, but Red Hat is part of the upstream community. Therefore, a lot of the upstream testing, which is supposedly different than what we're doing, is done by Red Hatters. So we test the upstream first, and then once we package our downstream builds, we test them separately. Mm. The type of testing that you do upstream and that you do downstream is very different. Upstream, you test the code, you test the implementation, you test, does this make sense? Is the logic mm, sound? Is it doing what we sh it should be doing? But also you're testing things against minimal fake deployments that are often stubs and mocks and and just testing specific parts of the code. Downstream, okay. a lot of the emphasis is put on testing the integration between the mm. different components. So all of a sudden we have REL, we have our container runners, we have our SDN solutions. We're not supporting right. all the possibilities in the upstream and they're separately the, uh, they're separate project. They're, they're developed separately. So what we do downstream is we have access to bigger parks, bigger, uh, more nodes, more physical hardware. And then we start testing all these integration with the different mm. projects. We pin down specific versions. We're not just testing that your scheduler uh, algorithm is correct. This is something that is typically tested in the upstream. 
But in the downstream, we're testing that this version of Libvirt works with this version of, of Podman that is working with yeah. Lebrel or whatever. Oh, and God, this is what yes. we, we tend to do downstream. Mapping all of these things and, oh my God, covering, doing this. Like, I, I can't even imagine or fathom the coverage that you have to have like to make sure that everything is functioning as it should be. All right, we're gonna switch to the to our topic of the day. Yeah. And I think in 2019, you did the transition to engineering management. Um, sure. Did you decide to transition yourself or was this like the only available option for growth for you? Mm, so to be honest, neither. So obviously the first thing is in Red Hat, and I can only speak about Red Hat, uh, you're, have plenty of opportunities to grow as an engineer who wants to remain mm. outside of management. And there are plenty of opportunities. There is nothing that will actually force you into management. This being said, in my experience, in my personal uh, path, in my personal journey, my manager was really pushing me to become a manager myself, to join mm -hmm. him. His team was growing out of control, he needed to, to delegate a lot of the management tasks because he had he was growing. He had over 20 people. He was managing over 20 people and we were still hiring. Wow. Okay. And he needed he, he needed to have lieutenants. So mm. he obviously he was explicitly telling me, I want you to be, I want you to be my assistant manager. I want you to be the assistant manager. And I was at the time I was a bit undecided. I still had aspirations to be very technical. And also I still struggled a lot with the idea of how does a manager add value to the team? It's mm. uh, it often feels, especially when, when you're not considering management challenges, you think that the job of a manager can be automated. The job of a manager is just yeah. reporting. It's, and it's useless and yeah, it's overhead. Yeah. It's yeah. And it took me a long time. Like to, to this day, I, I have to very often think, like me as a manager, how am I adding value to this? Okay. Now, the good part was in Red Hat, we every manager, old, new, long-time engineer, long-time manager, when we joined the management team at first, we're, we take a nine-month course of managing the Red Hat way. Mm -hmm. And... This course is not perfect. I have a lot of criticism towards it, but the truth is putting you in contact with other managers who are discovering things. A lot of them are ex-engineers, long-time engineers. A lot of them are long-time managers from other companies. Being in contact with them and sharing stories and sharing strategies started making me like see that there are patterns. There are some ways where, okay, I see how in this case, a, ma a good manager made a difference. I see how in this case, a bad manager made a negative impact. And I see how management is something that helps engineer. And I started understanding a little bit how, uh, how to add this value that I was always looking for. Got it. Now in Red Hat, you, you always have the opportunity to switch back to engineering and a bunch of hmm. our managers do this. Interesting. Uh, I want to stop you here yes. because I, I'm curious about one thing before we move on. Um, so how does a career path look like for an engineer? Is there a track that is that goes on? Is there a, in, grow, in terms of growth in parallel to management? Like, can you grow as an engineer in parallel to a manager, get, this, get the same pay or even higher or lower? I don't know. Absolutely. How does it look Absolutely. like? Uh, I'm, so I'm, I'm not completely familiar with, uh, with the org and how it is 
partly because it changes all the time, but <laughs> partly because it is also loosely defined because every individual will have a, a slightly different path than others. Mm. But uh, as you, as if you want to push into engineering without going into management, the type of expectations and responsibilities that you have are going to transform. So as a, as a more junior or even standard engineer, you will be given specific tasks and be expected to achieve them. Uh, as you grow into what we call the principal engineers and the senior principal engineers and maybe the distinguished engineers, those are higher levels of engineers. First of all, these guys, they earn more than I do and they <laughs> should earn more than mm -hmm. I do because they're far more impactful than, than I am. Their responsibilities tend to be about uh, how can we affect Red Hat products across the board. So one example would be uh, about a few years ago, about maybe two, three years ago, we decided to move away from Docker as our container uh, runtime. Yeah. These decisions, they had to affect all our products. We couldn't possibly be selling OpenShift running Docker and OpenStack not running Docker. It, mm. it, it had to take into consideration all the product, all the, the integration of our portfolio together. This is where distinguished engineers would actually look into these problems and think about how do we do this? Do we continue with Docker? Do we come up with our own homebrew solution? Are there other solutions that we can explore? And how well will it integrate through all the, the product? Right. A lot of their work is proof of concept. A lot of their work is exploration. A lot of their work is open source participation in these in, in these. Yeah. upstream communities definitely and because they hold so much depth that like literally no one else has that much depth in the product in the technology in the know-how in the experience in the wisdom so on and so forth yeah i, I can i can yeah. imagine why they're so valuable um is there anything that you miss about your previous position like after you moved to management <laughs> oh wow so the obvious one is of course spending time in in your code editor mm. so i still do and it's not that i don't but I don't do as much. And I don't usually participate in the, in the heated reviews, which is what I miss okay. probably the most. Like when, <laughs> when you had something that was contentious and a lot of people had their own opinion and mm. being in the heat of the battle, being like on the battlefield, just taking everybody's opinion, trying to find compromises, trying to find who's making sense, who's not making sense. Now I, I more I take a step back and I, I'm more a facilitator. Even though I have my opinion, I, I don't I don't chime in as as strongly as as vigorously as I used to. So that that there's this for sure. But there's also in general, I miss I miss being able to to talk to the team without being the manager, mm. like maybe participating in rumors or maybe. Okay. <laughs> giving my opinion or maybe giving yeah. someone encouragement without it having the subtext of this is your manager talking to you. And yeah. it, it's slightly different where, and even a, lot, a bunch of these guys I had been working with for two, three, four years before, and all of a sudden I'm their manager. And all of a sudden when I make a joke or when I make a sarcastic comment, or if I participate in a, in a rumor, which I cannot really do, you know, gossip, I cannot do these things anymore because my word is different than what it used to be. So exactly. there's 
this 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 aspect that kind of I miss being able to speak much more freely and goof off. Yeah, you you were you were closer to the team, and now like your way your words hold much more weight. You have in a way to be the role model, but also like present the company for the engineers in many ways. Yeah, I can understand where where, where this is coming from. Um, I want to switch a little bit to the to the to the meta and and talk a little bit about. Mm-hmm. Um, what makes a great uh, a manager, right? I'm gonna dissect this topic in a little in, in in different questions, and I'm gonna start with something you've already touched upon. But uh, Google ran an experiment. They called it Project Oxygen, I think, in 2002, and the experiment uh, stated that there was an underlying feeling that managers or project managers, program managers, whatever you want to call them, are just overhead. They, they don't add any value. Uh, they just add to the bureaucracy and engineers can literally self-manage if they are up to a certain level of competence and experience. And they don't really, they don't really need anyone to babysit them if I am to say it that way. However, the experiment failed miserably like, and it only lasted a few months. What are your thoughts on this? What do you think about the experiment and the outcomes? So it's the experiment that they tried not having any manager for yes. large teams. So they took out all the managers for a few teams and then they tried to observe what was going on. And yeah, it failed miserably. The people were in disarray. There was no one directing the vision of what they were working on. There was no communication flowing properly, no coordination, nothing of that sort. Yeah, it is. Um, so it, it, it is scary to think that no one would be managing a team of, say, 30, 40, 50 engineers. It's, uh, you have to wonder, you know, how are they synchronizing? How are they aligning? Or most importantly, how are they addressing the things that nobody's addressing? This is something that, as a manager, you're, you're constantly thinking about. Like, we have this problem. We've been dragging this problem for two years. <laughs> What are we going to do about it? Mm. Uh, for instance, my, my style of management, and again, I cannot speak about management in general. I can speak about Red Hat specifically, and not even then. I can speak about my own corner of Red Hat because Red Hat is vast. So probably other people have different circumstances, and it's unfair to say that what I have experienced is universal. But my style of management has always been that, look, we have engineers. Let them engineer. I'm not going to out-engineer the engineers. That's not my role. And even to a certain extent, my role is not to give the solution to a technical problem. My role is not even to give a solution to how are the processes and how are we organizing ourselves. But where I have a lot of impact is how how do we shape the culture into something that makes sense? So for instance, some very concrete examples, we had people who are afraid of saying, I don't know, or I didn't Mm. understand. And we end up figuring out that some people haven't understood the problem correctly, very close to the deadline. Interesting. As a manager, this is something that you can solve that nobody else can. And the fact that you can actually solve these things can have a lot of positive impact on on the long term. So... How can we set up a culture where we make sure that everybody understood the problem? How can we set up a a culture where we considered that everybody has the resources available and not find out this in the middle of the 
middle of the of the run. Yeah. How can yeah. we make sure that someone has all the opinions are being listened to correctly? Mm. Now it takes it takes a special set of skills to 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 be this person because my engineers wouldn't listen to me if I didn't show that I know their work. And I'm in the very privileged position of having done the work for about seven years. And I know very well the ins and outs of what they're doing. So when I let them do the things the way they want to do, and I say, hey, but we haven't listened to this person, or we're not taking that aspect into account. I, I know what I'm talking about in a good way. So well, basically, if you want to talk about this experiment that of not having manager, I will say the. it's easy to have bad managers too. It's very, it's a slippery slope and bad management can happen. Having good managers is obviously a very important thing. And good managers will impact the engineers without imposing their own vision, but mm. will enable the engineers into doing engineering in the best way possible. So what are the qualities of a great manager? That's Thank you for, for <laughs> pushing in that direction. That was my next question for you. The qualities of a good manager... Um, it's a very, it's a very uh, human position. So, empathy is, is very important. Mm-hmm. Understanding when someone is talking, I try not to think about what is good for me. I try to think about what is their context, where are they coming from, and mm. can I do make a difference? Sometimes it doesn't mean just do everything that your team is asking. But it means really understand what is your team asking and why are they you asking this and will it change something? Sometimes it's understanding that they're asking something without phrasing it as a question or a request. So mm. this, this aspect of empathy is very important. You need to have, I think, a, a thick skin because you're going to hear a lot of people complaining about things that maybe you disagree with. So being able to turn this into to give a positive spin on things. Uh, mm. means that you cannot be affected by someone who's always complaining that this thing doesn't work or that other team is unreasonable, something like this. That's very common and uh, between engineers. I, I mean, if I am mm. to over, I don't want to overgeneralize, obviously, no. but like that is because we're critical in our work, right? We, we, we look for these faults and then we try to voice them out whenever we can. Yeah, I think so. And also, I think that uh, in today, like this is not the 80s anymore. Today, any... Any piece of software that is non-trivial and that is actually useful is not developed by a lone superstar engineer in the corner. It's mm-hmm. developed by big organizations of, of multiple engineers working together. And sometimes people are not aligned. Sometimes people have different understanding. They have different stakes in the in the project. So there will be tension. There will be frustration. Uh, it's perfectly normal. And as I said, I think that a good manager is in charge, it's not in charge of the processes or, or the solutions, they're in charge of the culture. The culture mm. of, hey, we listen to these guys. Hey, we, we try to understand what is the, the challenge here or whatever. Just observing, observing empathy, observing. So the, these are important. I think a certain level of curiosity is also important in the sense of uh, when, when you hear an engineer say something you didn't expect, don't dismiss it and be very naturally mm. curious about what, what they said. 
and be like, okay, you know what? I want to try what you what you say. Maybe set an hour aside or maybe an afternoon aside to say that thing that you told that you told me that seems completely crazy. Maybe I'll try it. Maybe I'll see what you mean. And I think that the good managers tend to do this. And yeah, yeah as, as a, you're talking about these things, I'm also reflecting about uh, on my manager at work, <laughs> and I'm also seeing a lot of these qualities already uh, already in him, which which is really interesting uh, to hear from you and your perspective <laughs> on them. Okay, so these are this these are like diverse skill sets, right? Empathy, mm -hmm. having a thick skin, uh, natural curiosity, so on and so forth. Do you think man good managers are are born, or are they? trained to be good managers and if they are trained does your organization for example provide this type of training and does it invest in you or is this more of your own personal initiative um yeah so i think it's uh it's obviously it's like everything i i think it's a mix of the two i really believe that even if you're not born with it you can learn it i also believe that for people like me it came more naturally than not being like this. So I am very aware that it was easier for me. My wife, my wife, she, she always jokes about this. She says, you always wanted to be a superstar engineer, but it looks like you're so much more fit to be a ma an engineering manager. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it, it, it pains me a little bit to think about this, but it's true. It's true that I'm naturally better at listening to the people. And this being said, I believe that Red Hat helped me a lot in mm. by giving this training that I mentioned earlier. Um, and in general, I think organizations should train their managers, whether it's an engineer transitioning to management or whether it's a new manager coming from a different culture into your culture. I really think that management is about culture. I really, really believe this. So if, if you expect them to figure things out on their own it's a recipe for frustration it's a recipe for massive frustration and the training that you have to bring is not it's not just give them books and studies and then give them white papers to to hear it's just put them in contact with other managers put them in contact with people who are familiar with this culture start conversations start exchanging ideas start mm. putting situations like what would you do in this situation what would you do in that situation or share actual experiences. I've had this situation. I did this. What could I have done differently? Uh, this is the sort of training that will make you be a good manager because it will force you to think, how am I adding value? How am I making a difference here? How maybe I shouldn't have done anything and a manager has no value to add, but just simply thinking about this, you're already understanding the role better. You're understanding the challenges better. And yeah, I, I really believe that I'm lucky that Red Hat gave us this training. And I think that organizations that don't give the training are this wishful thinking. Nine months. Wow. Hey. Yeah, definitely. I've seen a lot of, uh, I personally, for example, uh, were, was pushed into a couple of management roles when I was not ready. And, and mm -hmm. it was a disaster for everyone involved, myself included, because when you approach dealing with humans as if you are solving a problem, 
that that's a recipe for disaster and and that's why i think what you're talking about is super valuable uh the human element of all of this is at the core i think of of really good engineering managers that's um, the, that's the the joke i always say is like humans they don't come with a manual it's not like <laughs> yes. you can read the solution did they not give you any training they they expect you to just figure out things on your figure own. it out as you go just you know wing it with with people and these are human beings at the end of the day this is these are the, the biggest asset that any organization has. Like you cannot just throw anyone and say, okay, go manage this, this group of people, no matter how technically knowledgeable you are. These are completely separate yeah. things. And I'm really glad that organizations are getting more and more aware that of all of this, uh, that these need to be separate. Um, I often hear from managers and I've heard it multiple times throughout my career. Uh, specifically from managers who are non-technical, that having technical knowledge or technical depth is not necessary to manage an engineering team, right? Do you believe it's necessary for an engineering manager to be technical and have a certain level of depth? Or do you feel like someone who has all of these great manager skills but does not have the technical knowledge, can they manage a team of engineers? Will he or she be listened to? Will they be able to facilitate the work of engineers? Or that's impossible? It's a, it's a difficult question. Again, I cannot, I don't, I, I cannot think of, of the, the, the position in very universal terms because I've only really had a single management experience, which is my current one. Mm -hmm. And even then, I've only really worked in a single team for 80% of my career. I... I don't know how things are outside. I'll say this though, having solid technical knowledge, but not just in general, specific to the product that I'm working on, specific when the processes that I'm working on, understanding exactly how we send things on Git for review, what is the good amount of reviewing that we wanna do, what is the good aspect that we, you know, how we deal with a third party library, how do we assess it, how do we, what are our practices, how do we read the code, how do we, the fact that I am very familiar with these things is central to my way of management. And I couldn't do this if I didn't have this technical background, which is a double-edged sword, because sometimes I worry that am I too tied to the current position? If I were to move and go work on something that isn't cloud computing, that is just some like web application somewhere. Am I going to be clueless? Am I going to need to, to learn all the technical things? Or can I, can I be able to start managing without being a manager? I don't know. These are some of the challenges that I'm currently I'm dealing with. But I'll say just that for me, the idea that you don't have the technical knowledge and you still want to manage it sounds scary. I would be very afraid of doing this. This being said, I am not saying I would be the best engineer on my team. Some people think that as a manager, I should be able to do everything that my engineers <laughs> do and better. Mm. I think that's that's not the case. I just need to be able to do what they do if I needed to, but I expect them to do it better than me because they're doing it 24-7 and I'm Obviously, focusing yes. on something else. 100%. For some reason, I feel like and again, I don't want to fall into the trap of overgeneralizing, but from my, I'm going to derive from my personal experience. I feel like engineers tend to listen to um, technical authority in many ways. And I'm not saying that the manager, you should manage with authority, but 
they tend to listen to people who know more than they do. Uh, and I'm not sure why this this hierarchy develops naturally, or this is maybe a cultural thing. Uh, but I, I've I've observed it and I've seen it in, in numerous locations. Um, why do you think this is the case? Like, I mean, the way I think it? about it. Yeah, the way I think about it. Listen, if you if you have to to do some technical assignment, you have to. Uh, in my in my work, it's like write a CI job, for instance, mm. and it's not ready for whatever reason. And your manager says, what's going on? And like, pardon the term, but you give him some bullshit. You give him some like two-bit uh, reason and it he accepts it. He accepts it. He starts like reporting that, yeah, this is blocked because something that is like very obviously not the reason why. It becomes difficult for you in the future to, to take anything or stuff they say a bit seriously or i don't know if that's the case but i'll say it i'll word it differently <laughs> i'll say if you give him bullshit and he calls you on it immediately on the spot he says what you say doesn't make sense and he opens the the text editor and he walks you through the code and he says no that's the thing and what are you talking about the relationship changes the relationship says yeah it's a little bit of technical authority it's like hmm. he i cannot like he knows what he's talking about and I try to word these things not in a way of like, hey, hey, I caught you, just go sit in the corner. More like, <laughs> hey, this is the problem. We can work on it together. If this is something that you don't understand, maybe I can help. I am familiar with this area of the code. I can give you the documentation. I can put you in contact with the team who knows these things. Mm. Always wording things constructively and not like, aha, I caught you. It can help. But it's important to show them that technically your sound or Look, you don't have to be on top of everything, but the very obvious, the obvious bullshit you should you should not pass through you. I think the very obvious thing now sets the tone immediately. People start respecting you. People start actually going at you for solutions. And this is something that is funny also in my management style. Very often, engineers they come to me and they go, "You know, we." tried this, this didn't work. Uh, we tried that other thing. We don't have the resources for it. And then this third team, they said they couldn't do this. What should we do? Hmm. My response has always been like, you tell me what should we do? Like, you're the engineer. You tell me, what do we do? And I'll make it happen. Hmm. So there's this thing about a good manager. They, they shovel the shit away from a way so that the engineers can do the things that they envision. So you need some paperwork, you need some access to hardware, you need some licenses, you need some things. I'll take care of it. Yeah. But you tell me what the solution is. You I, think of yeah. the solution, take ownership of it, and then I can help. Yeah, don't come to me with problems, but come to me with like maybe a problem definition and your perspective on a solution, and mm -hmm. then I can facilitate this and facilitate you getting to that endpoint or to, to get across the finish line. Interesting. Okay, I want to talk about uh, engineering management at the organization level and at, at scale, right? So okay. it's a, a tricky, controversial topic of how we can measure a developer productivity, for example. So I'm not going to get into that. I want to talk about engineering managers' success. Are there any indicators that can be used to measure the efficacy or the, the success of an engineering manager? How does Red Hat do it? Do you actually do it even? Uh, if you're thinking metrics, I'll tell you immediately we don't. I think 
we we have at its in its simplest form we have one-on-one -on -one performance reviews with our direct managers and that's about everything we do officially so that's a, this is where it ends and i don't think that it's a it's a very good way of measuring performance but in general and this is maybe a crude way of saying it if the product is doing well <laughs> then the team are probably doing well and if someone is not performing well they have to be performing very badly for actions to be taken but this is a very superficial view of how things are in practice red hat it has such a strong culture of being self-driven uh, everybody's expected to take initiatives all the time and everybody is taking initiatives all the time if you're a subpar performer nobody is working with you nobody is actually seeking you out nobody is actually interacting with you so well you won't have like as long as you if you're doing the absolute bare minimum your boss is going to say hey okay i have nothing bad to say about you here's your like yearly raise or whatever this is the bare minimum you're going to get but you're not getting all these work opportunities you're not getting all these people who want to interact with you you're not getting all these you know, initiatives mm. so that's very much merit-based and the system sort of like clean, not cleans up but like takes care of itself yeah in a way and this is all again i was work i've been working my whole career in a product that is generating good money for the company so we're not in a hard position like if the if the product was losing money maybe things would have been different but i don't know like it's 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 a crude way to yeah. put it but it's working so people who are here unless they're very terrible they're staying yeah, but it's, that's also the reality, right? I mean, I don't, I don't want to listen about, I don't want to, I don't think anyone wants to hear the, the the great stories about great companies who promote that they got their shit together, right? <laughs> There's a lot of chaos in this world. And, and in many ways, I've seen it in so many organizations that claim to be doing really awesome stuff. They might might be, but internally, the process is is bust and, and they're not really, you know, it all bottles down to the fundamentals. As if the business is doing great, everyone will be doing good, right? And and they will have the luxury to do yeah, a lot of awesome stuff. Don't misunderstand me. Mm -hmm. By far, the most of the engineers that I work with are amazing people. Like, I'm very humbled by this. And I think that culture, which again, like, this is all I think about is culture. I think culture is very uh, contagious. It's, uh, I learned to be self-driven. I learned to take a lot of initiatives. I learned to be always constructive because when I joined the team, everybody was already this way. And newcomers, when they join, we make sure that they get also infected by this attitude, by this by this Definitely. way of doing things. So, yeah, like you say, the system takes care of themselves. Like it's the product is doing well because we're doing something right as well. Like it's not hundred percent. It just, doesn't happen by pure luck. Of course. No, no. I mean, I'm saying it's a combination of superior or great engineering talent, but also like interpersonal skills and a lot of many things come together for a company or a product to do, to do really well. But what I'm trying to say, if, if you could have like the best engineers in the world, right. But put in, in the wrong time, wrong product, wrong market fit, wrong, whatever, right. They're not going to do well, no matter what. And Absolutely. that's where everything will just crumble. Okay, I want to jump from this to talk about, because you mentioned culture, and I love that. Uh, 
do you believe that an engineering manager can lead a team in a toxic culture? Can they create a bubble for their team to be effective if they're if the rest of the organization is is in disarray or not not really working well? Yeah, super fun question. And I think about this a ton. Now, I'm lucky that in at large, the company where I work with uh, where I work is is it has a really positive culture. And so I, I don't have a lot of things, but I think that if the company was toxic, then my role would have been exactly what you described. It would have been to absorb all the toxicity so that my team doesn't feel it at all. So that they, like, this is, this is again, culture, right? Like, if, if management is petty, if, if the products are messing up with the quality engineering, if finance is being uncool or whatever, it's really your job as a manager to absorb all this so that the guys don't know it exists, don't feel it exists, and they can just focus on writing their code, finding their solution, testing the, the product, whatever it is, you know, engineer, do, do engineering. I'll take care of the toxic person. I'll take care of this, focus on doing the amazing things. The way you phrase your question is is a very good one. I think that I've had to do it in similar situations, but at a very small scale because Red Hat is such a beautiful, wonderful company. I have nothing but good things to say about them. But sometimes if a team is being difficult or if some aspect of the work is could devolve into toxicity and pettiness and gossiping and hating, it's this is where I have to intervene. I have to intervene. It's, it's my number one priority. Don't let the toxicity at spread get into get into my team they got into my guy like mm. my people they should always feel like i'm so lucky to work here it's so beautiful to work here and it's my job to make it happen interesting on, on a personal level are you more of an introvert or an extrovert do you do you fall into any of these buckets oh. and how does this affect your your engineering management ability do you feel it has an impact or it doesn't uh so no I, I i don't like these terms because i think that people mean different things when they use them. My understanding of an introvert... But they have a psychological is, definition. So what I'm trying yeah, to how say do you, is, How would you define them? Yeah, an, an extrovert is basically a person that uh, takes energy from being around people, from engaging with people, you know, from from uh, surrounding themselves with, with interesting conversations, whatever. An introvert is not a person who doesn't like people, but it's a person that can behave as an extrovert but at the end of the day, their energy is drained by a lot of social act interactivity, let's say, and they feel like they need to recharge by spending some uh, yeah. time alone, right? So that, that, that's the definition I have. And I, in this definition, I 100% identify as an introvert. Hmm. But I'm not shy. I'm extremely talkative. I am super present in meetings. But if I don't have my three hours in the morning where I'm just alone... <laughs> With my calendar, with my emails, with my with my text editor, with my whatever it is that I'm currently need to organize my thoughts to, to take a you know, take some breath, I, I will be drained. I will be very yeah. tired. My mornings are alone and they're my recharge time. My afternoons are just meeting, 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 and they're where I spend the energy. And at the end of the day, I'm just I'm tired. Yeah, so if you're thinking in terms of recharge energy and spending energy, yeah, I'm an introvert. But if you think in terms of being shy and not speaking up and blah, 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 then no, I speak up. I'm the loudest person in the meeting. 
Yeah, definitely. No, definitely. Introversion is more on the the energy levels and and how how do you derive your energy and how do you um, uh, like where do you, where does this energy come from for you? I understand. I'm an introvert myself, and I can fake extroversion really well. Um, <laughs> highly sociable, you know, highly talkative. But at the end of the day, yeah, I just need my time alone to recharge. Otherwise, yeah, next day is not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, right. And it's uh, there's this expectation that. Uh, you as a manager that you're always just talking with people all the time and yeah in a way it is but in another way like i need i need this time to think i need this time to organize myself especially if the day is going to be a succession of meetings and this is probably the hardest part of of my job well the second hardest part of my job it's that the context switch is constant i go in a half hour meeting, we talk about something, then as soon as it's done, I go in the next half hour meeting where we talk about something completely different with completely different people. And then it's a succession of just context switch, context switch, context switch, context switch. And this is what it makes very difficult for me. This is what drains my energy the most. And Mm. the mornings that are quiet time. So the reason why I talk about morning afternoon is because most of the people that I, like all of the people that I directly manage and most of the people that I interact with are in the US time zone and I'm in Uh Europe. So my mornings are my alone, sacred planning, uh, resourcing time where it's most of my actual work is done in the morning. Nice. And then in the afternoon, I'm on autopilot going from one meeting to the next and just saying the things that I have thought of in the morning. I understand. Yes, I I also have a a good part of my team who also operates in the US and it's a blessing because you get like a good chunk of your day you know where you can be productive you can have focus time you can just move away from from meetings all 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 the time and and just focus on getting things done okay that's awesome let's talk a little bit about remote work um as a manager do you feel like physical proximity is necessary for 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 you to effectively manage or do you feel like you can do this across time zones and across regions without uh, it hampering your efficacy as a manager um if we want to talk about my specific situation i am working for a company that has a very strong remote friendly culture so the fact that the whole company is makes it easy for remote workers, makes my management style easier. If I was alone in a, like alone at home while all the company is just in one office and they're used to being in one office, things would have been completely different. So this culture of remote, it's it's either the whole company's on board or it's not gonna work. So Mm. this is how I I really feel about this. This being said, there's immense value in, in physical proximity and being all together in the same place, especially if you get to be around the team outside of work hours, maybe you know have a beer afterwards yeah. or go to a paintball shooting something. Or, and what we used to do in Red Hat before the whole world closed is that we would try to meet once or twice a, a year. And we try to... to make it in different context. Sometimes not the whole team would meet, sometimes different like subsets would meet, but I would have physical contact before when I was an engineer with my managers all like several times a year. Um, again, successful product. So we have the budget for multiple travels a year. So it's these things are easy, but I really think that if you can afford them, it's one of the most 
beneficial thing you can do for your team is having them get together all together once or twice a year. Yeah. Uh, the impact is, is, is insane. After my first time doing this with my team, I came home and I was like, now I know the guys. Now yeah, I, right? I, the bond I, is created. You yeah, need this oh, personal absolutely. bond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I was going to ask, like, if these trips are not possible, how would you go about creating these virtu bonds virtually? <laughs> is this even feasible? Um, this is, yeah, this is as a manager, you have a lot of, of, of influence on this. What I have a lot of managers who try to do some like game meetings or quiz mm. meetings or this sort of things. I tend to find that they're a bit, <laughs> they're a bit dorky. Like it's not always fun. Like if you show up and like you ask me a quiz game or what is your favorite color? Or like it's, yeah, they just don't People aren't very engaged, yeah. but just one thing that, that it was started by one of my engineer, but like an engineer from a sister team actually. And we started doing this is one guy, one day showed up on IRC and just said, I'm starting a video meeting. I'm just hanging out. Whoever wants to jump in, just come say hi. And this is, for instance, the type of things when I say, as a manager, you want to do, you want to influence the culture. I started doing it too. And I started telling my people, like, do it from time to time. And now it's become a thing where from time to time, we just open a video call and be like, hey, whoever wants to come by, just drop in. Yeah. yeah. And these things help. And then you start noticing who is never dropping, who is never coming, who is never participating in these things. What can I do? What can I do to make a difference? What can I do to, why do they not want to come there? And maybe it's not a bad thing. I have, I have people that I manage. They're very happy keeping it strictly personal and just going, disappearing. And they're some of my best performers and I absolutely love working with them. And they have zero interest in sharing personal time or personal whatever. It's fine, so be it. But I need to make sure that this is the case. I need to make sure that it's not like they would like to participate, but they're shy. Hmm. If it's if the case is that they're shy and they don't know how to engage, maybe I should intervene. I just need to know what it is before I take a decision. Yeah, maybe someone's overworked and you don't know it. Maybe they're not really Absolutely. saying things about it. And it's it's nice to to learn about these things. Also, I feel like a lot of the cross pollination and a lot of the good ideas, a lot of the you know discovery happens in some of these sessions. We call them water coolers. And sometimes we have them like running the whole day and whoever wants to jump into this session can just freely do so. And I think it's, it's, I had a lot of the brilliant ideas, for example, from just having casual conversations with people from other teams, you know, it doesn't have to be all about work all the time. It's just a matter of what are you working on today? Oh, I'm working on this cool thing. Oh yeah, my customer wants that. Or, oh, I could use this somewhere else. Or, oh, this is really awesome to hear about that we're investing time in this or energy in this and whatever. And I think this is where the value of these things come in. And you know, you don't need to have um, dedicated time for this in the sense that this can actually permeate your, your regular meetings. So I, it's it's not just me, but we make it a, a uh, it's very normal in Red Hat to be in the middle of a meeting and say like, yeah, I'm dropping, I'm going to pick up the kids. Or yeah. I've had people in meetings be in the middle of their evening run because it's night and they want to do a jogging and it's just their time zone. And then in the run, they have to speak for five minutes. So yeah, they're panting a bit while they're running, but that's it. Other than this, they're just doing their thing. Or I've, I've actually had people who said like, I'm super sorry, I'm in two meetings right now. I wasn't listening to you. Wow. Okay. And the point is, 
understanding that we're not all in the office together. We all have to juggle some things a certain way and we all have to, it's good if we can be chill around each other. It's good if we can be drop a little less formal than we would be in a more office setting where we have to behave a certain way and be more have more decorum maybe. But now we're at home, be comfortable, be flexible, whatever is convenient for you. And we can talk like teammates and not just be very protocol and oh now it's time for the meeting i'm going to wear a suit and just show up and uh, turn on the, uh, the video 100 like make make the workplace uh, like fun for everyone even if it's a remote working yeah. environment and convenient okay. and not a chore 100 i want to jump to the last question for our uh, conversation today which i really really enjoyed so far Thanks. Uh, do you have any tips for software engineers who feel it's time for them to step up to a management position like if you were to do it again and you're convinced that now is the time for you to step to that type of role, how would you approach it? Um, if you're in Red Hat, I know what you should do. We have, uh, <laughs> we have specific courses that you can take. We call it the Aspiring Manager Program. It's a, it's a short course. I think it lasts a week or two and it has like follow-up assignments where you get exposure to a lot of what the engineers are doing, uh, what of the managers sorry, are doing, what kind of challenges they have to deal with. And it helps you, uh, it helps you understand this, if it's for you or not. So this is probably the biggest thing I would say when I started, when I moved to management, I, the biggest challenge, and to this day, it's still my biggest challenge was dealing with people's salaries raises bonuses mm. these things you know what like when you're when you're an engineer most of what you're saying is like it's it's fun i have ideas of what we should do in jenkins i have ideas on how we should or like test this python thing it only affects you from monday to friday nine to five and then you turn off your laptop you go on your merry way and you do whatever you want to do and then at worst i'm just this annoying guy at work with stupid ideas but now if I'm in charge of your raise and your bonus, I'm affecting more than this. I'm affecting your weekends. I'm affecting your vacation. I'm affecting your Christmas shopping. I'm affecting things that are that that were new and different to me. That was this is a bit of the empathy part that I was talking about. Like I cannot take this decision as lightly as I used to say, hey, we're gonna use this library instead of that library. It's like it's not as likely. If I mess this up, I'm really screwing someone up. You're affecting so, humans' lives now. You're yeah. People's lives. So be aware of these things and think about these things. And if you're confident that these are things that you can do and you have good ideas on how you want to do, start looking at how can a manager flip certain situation around? What would the manager do differently? And then probably the number one thing that I would give as an advice is make it explicit, say it, tell it to your manager. I'm want to be a manager someday. I think I will, I can be a good, or I'm interested in the topic and be patient management transition to management, at least again in Red Hat. It's not, it's not something that we give as a like validation of your effort. It's when in a position open, you'll be, you'll be considered, but you'll also be in competition with other people who want to be, a manager so mm -hmm. it's sometimes it's going to take time sometimes you have to be looking for 
opportunities. But I would say this, I would say, uh, first, make it explicit, and two, start thinking every in your everyday work, like as a manager, what could I have done? What, what would a manager do differently? And why, where did my manager make a mistake or not make a mistake? And, and these are the type of things that that you would do. And then, you know, read up on management, uh, get curious, ask questions, talk to other managers. Uh, it's not a very glamorous role. A lot of it is supporting people who are doing fun things. But when you see the, the team working, having good cohesion, it's a very fun thing to say, hey, we built this together. Like, we, I, I know how to build this. And Promoting promoting people is one of the best feelings in the world. When you give someone a promotion that you have that been working deserve. with yeah. for two years and they set you set clear goals and then they do it, and then you're like, okay, you're getting this promotion. It's one of the, the most fun feelings in the world because you feel like, okay, we're building something real here and we're building something that is tangible. So Joe, this has been really awesome. Uh, thank you very much for your time, your insights, your experience. Thank I you really very much this. for this. Yeah, I, I had a blast. Uh, it was really fun talking with you. And Likewise. can't wait to see the episode and then the future episodes on the channel, man. For sure. Thank you very much for your time. And uh, thank you very much for watching.